Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? You know, it, I, it, it, it's amazing to think that with all of the uncertainty with the fires that are happening there with whatever's happening with that San Andreas fault line that they, you know, the scientists keep talking about, like the prices just continue to steadily go up. You know, there is, there's no limit to the human's ability to delude themselves that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that? What, what what was that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, don't and, look up. Uh, Did you like that? Yeah. I I mean, I yeah, I I I was entertained by it. Yeah. Did I did I like what the possibility might be? Right. No, of course not. We're just sitting there as, you know, the we just the world ends right before our very eyes and then it's all gone. So, you absolutely. know, absolutely. And when, I, whenever it comes to I require I require on. Adam McKay to, to explain absolutely everything to me. <laughs> but that was yeah, it was it, I I I 100% agree with you it was entertaining. It was a disturbing um, I think people wrote it off be, uh, because it was silly without realizing mm. how silly we respond to these, you know, true emergencies and disasters with like, oh, well, what's on TV? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So my traditional opening here is congratulations, Desmond Borges. You survived theater school. Yay. And you survived <laughs> the theater school, which is my alma mater as well. And, you know, we haven't had so a congratulations lot of- <laughs> to you as well. Sorry, Thank I didn't you. mean to interrupt. No, no, no. If we're throwing congratulations around, we all did it. Yeah, we all did it. And uh, it's really great to have you because you're from an epoch that we don't have necessarily represented. We haven't. T- what year did you graduate? Uh, 2005. OK, yeah. So we don't we don't have we have like the 90s and then we have post 2015. Oh, wow. So this is great. You were in the new building or no? No, no, I was I was the uh, very last Rick Murphy class. He retired with my class. Jim Osselhoff retired, I think, the year after. So I was right there at the end of like the true changing of the guard before they moved into the school, before all of the new, you know, uh, acting professors and performance people really started coming in and, you know, taking shape. And I think I, I, I'm not sure, but we were one of the last classes that had the first and second year cut. I think the class after might've also had it, but then after that, they just went to one. And now I hear that they don't do it at all um, is what my understanding they don't do is. It at all. No. So, yeah, they don't do it at all. And you know, um, it's funny, the grass is always greener because we've talked to people who've, who've graduated since the, the no cut and they're like, well, it'd be nice if we had some cuts because some people don't deserve to be there. <laughs> it's a, it's, it, but you know, <laughs> it's amazing how opinionated, um, in my uh, experience as a BFA actor, 18 to 22 year olds with not even close to fully developed brains, 
um, can just kind of take hold of something and, and, and run with it. And a whole bunch of confusion and vitriol just sort of seems to burst and bubble out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great that you, you're, you're the last of the old guard because that means you and I have a lot of common reference points, but, um, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the professors and, and unpacking, kind of the good and the bad. Most people who had Rick loved mm-hmm. him. Were you one of the Rick loving people? I was, yeah. Like I'm a I'm I'm a Rick truther from beginning to end. You know, I think the thing that I was uh saddest about once I found out that he was leaving was I wasn't going to come back to his exit improv acting class um which I found to be so helpful going full circle since you I started in Rick Murphy's intro one intro to acting which was all improvisation based you know uh, did did were you in Rick's first year class no i had i had david ah, um so you know we we start off with no words we're just telling stories physically first who we are uh, what we want where we are how we're going to get it all physically based first and then after a few weeks, you're able to add one word into the improvisation game and then three words and then five words. And then, you know, by the end of the first year, you're doing full dialogue, but you're physically based and grounded in who you are, what you want, where you are, how you're going to get it before you even get to that. So then coming full circle in the last year after, you know, you've gone through intros, you've gone through two years of the casting process there variety of shows, variety of genres, depending on sort of what your avenue and path was, it was nice to get back to that um, because uh, a, a lot of other alums would come in and they were people that you, uh, most of us knew um, and really enjoyed them as professionals. So then taking that last little bit of getting to work with them and see them as colleagues and not just sort of fixtures on our television or film or, you know, the, the closest stage that, you know, we were, we were adjacent to was nice because the, the whole thing that I think I cherish the most about the theater school is I, I had these, you know, great grouping of professors that were, you, you know, really trying to challenge me to be better than I was the day before. But at the end of the day, they were going to be colleagues that I was able to work with because almost all of them were working at least in the Chicago theater scene, if not also within New York and L.A. and doing a variety of other things. So, you know, we it wasn't always just having, you know, Rick Murphy and Wakefield, you know, on this sort of pedestal. It was like, oh, one day you're probably going to do a play with Ann Wakefield and you're going to be, you know, yeah. on on yeah. on equal footing for the first part. So, like, being able to have that thrown in right at the end of the year before they, you know, cast you out um, uh, onto your own was always really nice. And so that, that, that was probably the one thing that I missed the most. Sure. And so uh, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this question before, but um, have you gotten a chance to use improv in your profession or, I mean, cause a lot of people say they, it depends on which path they take, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people, go right into just film and television. And my understanding is there's less room for really improv in that setting. What about for you? you know, I think, it, I, I mean, I think it depends, you, you know, um, yes, I have, because I ended up taking a lot of um, ideas that I had 
through improvisation, through my work at home, going into auditions to so that I could not only show them what I could do with the material that they gave me, but with ideas that I might have to bring to the table, not saying that they were better, but just trying to showcase myself um, fully as the, as the, you know, collaborator that you would get in my five minutes or, or 10 minutes. So if they're, you know, if they, you know, give you a note and you're able to expand on it a little bit and now within the world of self tape, you know, I basically do it all myself. So I send them the product that I want to show them at this point, which, you know, I, I still continue to use a lot of improvisation, especially when things are tailored towards comedy. You know, if you're able to kind of expand the palette a little bit more for them and show them what you might be able to bring, that kind of puts you in a different stage than other people um, from casting okay. purposes. You know, you're not, it's not the same mm-hmm. lines over again. It's like, wait, what, what, what did he just say? Hold on. All right, let me watch that again. And, you know, I've always had the mindset that as long as I do my work and go and do the thing that I normally always do, if we're not working together on this project, I think I probably put myself in a place that we'll work together on another project. And I've always kind of had that sort of mindset and it helps me stay confident and grounded and, you know, focused on, you know, what I had planned, but in the world, I, you know, I didn't really start in the world of film and television. I immediately uh, went to Minneapolis to work at the children's theater company for a full season as an apprentice upon graduating. So I already had that in the bag. I did six plays. um, And during that season while I was there, and the funny thing was, is since we were always in development for other things that Peter Brocious and the rest of the staff were bringing to us, we were always improvising new works with new playwrights all the time, which then set me up to come back to Chicago for a number of years where I you know, got in really quickly with Teatro Vista and Dennis Zacek and Sandy Schinner at Victory Gardens, where it was all about bringing the playwright's word to life. And so most of the time I'm in these rooms with these playwrights writes them hearing their plays out loud for the first time and they gave the green light for us to just kind of explore and sometimes go off the page so it it was really it, it was a nice transition in that in those first couple of years of going from the theater school improv based you know tech including that into text mm-hmm. and then bridging that over into the professional world so um I don't know about your first day, but on my first day, my first acting class, we were counting the tiles Mm. on the ceiling. Mm. Do you remember anything about either your first day or just in general, the, for some people, it's not a culture shock. And for some people, it is this thing about like what, what you're actually going to be doing Mm. in theater school Mm. versus what you thought you were going to be doing when you, you know, applied and even auditioned. Mm. Um, do you remember anything about that time and how you experienced it? Um, you know, 2005 was such a long time ago. Well, that means 2001 was even longer, right? Um, you know, I, 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 I remember, you know, the first thing that I really remember was the, and this probably sums up, um, more of my theater school experience than not was the 
um, what, what was the, what, what was the system that they had created where like an older classman would, um, uh, oh, God, the, God, the, God's the, the Godfather thing, right? Well, they had like an introductory sort of thing in the courtyard that day. And that's when I first got introduced to my godparent. And I remember all of it was sort of like, you know, like just barely like, oh, I'm supposed to go to Patrice's movement class. Oh, no, now I'm I'm supposed to kind of go here. So the beginning was like just trying to figure out like sort of the lay of the land. Um, but then I felt like everything like really started click started to click at the God Squad party where there were professors there, there were upperclassmen, there were lower classmen there, and everyone was just sort of on the same page. And for the first time I saw everybody out of the lens of what it was like to be in that old Catholic girls school <laughs> with, yes. you know, mats and sweatiness and dancing and people sleeping on couches and, you know, just kind of doing whatever they needed to do to be prepared to do the work that they were going to do. It was nice for all of us to get out and just be human together. Cause I felt like after that, I was like, ah, oh, I know what this is about now. Now, now, yeah. now, now, now I sort of get it, but I do, now that you say, I do remember counting tiles. I do remember doing that early on. And I remember thinking, man, this better bear some fruit. Cause this is some ridiculous shit, but that's part of acting school, which you realize later in life. I don't think she wasn't there when you were there. We had a voice teacher come in, um, Claudia Anderson. And one day she brought out this big ass knapsack and I was like, uh, it was, you know, it was Chicago. So it always seemed like it was sort of winter. Um, and I was like, what is this? Like a holiday theme thing we're doing. And she pulled out these phonetic pillows of every phonetic vowel. And our whole class was going through the alphabet phonetically, rubbing these pillows all over our body. <laughs> and that was the first time in all my time there that I was like, that shit's stupid. Why are we doing that? <laughs> but there was a warm up that we ended up taking from that with starting at the base where the voice lives and moving all the way up the octave and coming all the way back down. And even though I thought it was stupid as shit, it's the best vocal warm up that I have. And I do it all the time still this many years. Right. Ago. I mean, this is the thing. That's, that's kind of what I was going to get to is like, Everything that I thought was so random and so babyish and so weird and so awkward and so embarrassing is everything that you need in your tool bag, right? I mean, you don't like bring it out in that way. You don't necessarily bring out your sack of phonetic pillows to every job you're going on, but you, but you are, you're inhabiting it and you're, you know, you could be playing the most serious yeah. character in the world, but you've got to have this sort of playfulness at your core. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's surprising. I mean, do you remember uh buoyancy radiancy in Betsy's class? Yes. I, you know, there were, yes. there, like I said, there are certain things that stay with you and like in the moment, like, I was like, why are we doing this? Let's get back to movement to music with John Jenkins. I understood the value of that. And, I, you know, it, it also, like, 
rhythms have always clicked with me. Rhythms are a thing that I use now when I, you know, speak with new directors. I was just working on a film project in Vancouver and it was the first time that I was working with this director. And when we were setting up our initial Zoom meeting, he asked me like, are there things that, you know, work better for you once we get out there? Because this was his first directing gig as well. And I said, interestingly enough, like if there's something you're hearing that doesn't sound right and it sounds better for you to go like pa, 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 ta, ta, something like that like it'll click with me and i'll be able to bridge that over if we're not able to kind of find the words because like directing and acting is basically like you know you're both working on a jackson pollock painting right there's splattering some blue yeah. i'm splattering some red and we look at each other and we're like that looks dope but what if we went to purple and then all of a sudden you both go to purple and you find the happy medium and the, the great accidents that happen and that, and that are caught on camera, you know? And so like music and, um, um, colors as well, because, uh, Anne Wakefield would always direct us in rhythms and colors, you know, uh, be like, Dis Disman, Disman, you, you come again. You're a bit, um, sha, sha, su, sa, su. I need you to be brighter, like oh a bit, a bit, that. a bit, a bit orange, right? Pa, pa, ta, 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 ha. And I was like, all right. I like, I don't know why, but I get that. I just like, you get I, it. I get you it. get it. You just, you just grab the, you grab the vibe. Of, and I had, I, I, she directed something that I was in and I, that's a great, another great example of like, day one being like, what is this lady talking about? And by the end, not only did I have a great experience, it was fun. I made a new best friend mm -hmm. and it, and she was so supportive. Another thing we talk about a lot on here is like, you know, there, the, the, the degree of support that most of us experienced was, um, you know, it's contingent upon who you vibed with as a professor, um, how well you knew yourself, how well you advocated for yourself. But I personally did not necessarily feel a lot of support mm. but Anne and 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 I didn't have Phyllis but I still experienced her as supportive and Betsy and Patrice you know I mean I guess the women <laughs> I felt I did feel supported by them um but I love Anne Wakefield and if you are still in touch with her or Rick Murphy we've been trying to find them to get them on the show oh. so let them know well, we're looking I'm I, I I I've heard that Rick Murphy is just north of Sacramento now so um I'm, but I, I have, I randomly a few years ago, um, it was probably like seven or eight years ago. Now I was sitting in a bar waiting for a friend in New York city and in walked Rick Murphy and we just sat down and we had a drink together. And both of the people that we were waiting on were late. We're so late, but like both of us were so unexpected you know, so unexpectedly surprised to see one another that like, it didn't matter. And then both of our people like showed up and it was kind of like, uh, I'll, all right, well, I guess I'll, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'm gonna go over here. I'll see you later. We had like dinner at different sides of the restaurant, but we kept on like stealing glances and like smiling at each other. And, um, but yeah, if, if I, if I hear from Anne or, or Rick, I, I, I will direct them on over because I think that they would be, uh, uh, just, um, amazing. Uh, I, I, I mean, I would sit down and listen to either one of them talk or read any book for as long as they wanted. To. Absolutely. 
By the way, that is so amazing that that is the way you encountered Rick Murphy. You literally encountered him like the beginning of any scene you might have done in, in his class, right? Like that, <laughs> that is so perfect. Okay, so you're originally from Chicago, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So go. So being there was not, you didn't have to get used to anything. Uh, but I bet, okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead say kind of. We moved to Houston, Texas when I was 10. And I was in Houston from when I was 10 till I was 18. So um, going, well, we went back home. Chicago's always been home. And that's where the majority of my family lives. But we would go back home two to three times a year for extended periods of time. I mean, not long enough that I was missing so much school, but long enough that, you know, we were, still back with our people. So getting back to Chicago didn't necessarily feel weird, but it had changed significantly from 10 to 18. And then I was there again, you know, sort of 18 to 28 ish. And then I moved to New York city after that. And then came back again a few years ago when I was shooting utopia there and it had completely changed again. So, um, you know, but go, go right ahead. So that's the background. No, well, I mean, two things. One is like, I I think sometimes when people are from the area, it is still different because they're experiencing a different part of the city Mm -hmm. or they're certainly experiencing it with different people. So that's sort of one part of it. But another part of it is, um, a question is, did you always know you want to go to theater school? And if so, is this the one that you wanted to go to? Did you apply to a bunch of schools? I did. Um, I, I, I always, well, while I was in high school, there, there was this older, there, there was this older actor that uh, I, I really liked. Like he got me into John Leguizamo's one man shows very early on. Um, and I remember him talking about auditioning for the theater school and, you know, the, the, the high school that we were in, the district that we were in, uh, Cy Fair in Houston, Texas, was very competitive, not only in, you know, football, dance, but in arts, too. And so the um, thought behind going to a conservatory or going to an acting school wasn't necessarily looked down upon, but it was actually, you know, they, you know, people were coming out there. So many schools flew out to Houston to audition kids for their programs. So um, I I had three in New York and three in Chicago that I wanted to audition for. I knew that I, you know, those were one of the only two places that I really wanted to be. Um, As much as I love the state of California, I don't necessarily love the city of Los Angeles and wasn't necessarily ready for the onslaught of the profession being thrown in my face every waking moment that I'm out there. Cause that's what the entire city of Los Angeles is to me, to me anyway. Um, it's just, you, you can never escape the industry. And I'm a person who likes to escape. I like to, you know, I like to eat really good food. I like to get away, you know, um, which Chicago and New York would allow me to do both of those things. Um, so um, I ended up, the only school I didn't get accepted to was Ithaca. Um and I remember, I, I remember thinking like, yeah, who the fuck wants to go hang out in the woods in New York anyway? Like, oh, right. like, oh, was I, I mean, it was probably yeah. the best blessing in disguise. Nothing against Ithaca here. It's a fantastic program, but it just wasn't going to vibe with me. Um, but when I got the acceptance letter from DePaul, it just, it, it was like, it, it was kismet, right? Like I was baptized at St. Vincent DePaul Church. 
Uh, my aunt and my uncle got married in that church when, you know, um, my family, my dad used to be a cook at Seton hall for the nuns before it was Seton hall. So like everything was sort of in line to bring me back there. And I remember walking into that tiled checkered floor of the front doors and seeing like the old couches that, you know, were just emulating, sweat and inspiration and <laughs> to be honest probably some semen which i don't even really want to get into probably but yeah. um you know, like i it just it felt like it felt like i was home it felt like for the first time in a long time that i belonged somewhere because in houston i never felt like i belonged there but there was a variety of things that were happening my dad got diagnosed with cancer when I was 14. He passed when I was 15. And then it was like three more years before I get the fuck out of this place. Right. So I had all of that going on. Plus being, you know, a high school kid and sort of any sort of city, you either like really, really, really love high school or can't wait to get the fuck out of there and start the rest of your life is what I feel like. And I was definitely part of the latter. So, you know, I, I went there and I felt, you know, really at home. Um, um, and it just, it just sort of clicked, you know, like we came from a uh, very lower, lower middle class. So in order for me to get to any of these schools to, to, to be able to, I, I would have to receive some sort of financial aid and or scholarship help. And it just ended up turning out that like the best mixture of all of it happened to be the theater school. Yeah. Right. I was going to ask you about that when you met, you said being a lower middle class, um, a lot of times uh, when we come from backgrounds like that, our parents don't really want us to pursue this line of work for fear that it's not going to be stable. I, I don't know if your dad knew that you were going to be an actor, um, but how did the rest of your family feel about you choosing a conservatory? Oh, they were all good with it. I come like, you you know, my, my mother's family is Italian, Greek and Hungarian. So many musicians on my mom's side of the family. And my father's from Puerto Rico. You know, my mom's uh, a, a certified barber and worked in a bar. I grew up in a barber shop my entire life. My dad worked two jobs as long as I could remember. So like going to do the work, whatever the work was going to be, was applauded as long as you, you know, stuck to your guns and, you know, continued down whatever path you wanted to is more, you know, determination than anything else. You know, I, I, I was probably like one of the first in my family to graduate with a BFA. So I, I, I don't think it was ever, I mean, not to speak down upon my family, but I don't think anyone was thinking that I was coming out like a lawyer or a doctor or something like right. of that. <laughs> right. But, you know, like I had been, you know, uh, and I went to an all Spanish preschool in Chicago and I won a lip sync competition uh, doing La Bamba. And so I performed it on what was then Telemundo in the morning, you know, and I was what, like four or five years old. And then every year after that, I was always in my school play. And then I was also really, really into sports. I played a lot of baseball and basketball. And I thought baseball was going to be my ticket of getting me um, into college. But then after my dad passed, like that was our thing. I didn't want to do it anymore. I went locked and loaded. Um, I, I got... I got an agent. I got headshots. Um, I started taking mm -hmm. dance classes and voice classes outside of school. I started auditioning for theaters outside of school. 
and booking things. And it was like, all right, so this is, this is it. So like 16, 17, 18, all acting all the time. Um, so that, yeah, it sounds like you were very, it, it sounds like you were one of the people like me, never wanted to do anything else, born wanting to do this, born one. And by the way, you mentioned earlier, John Leguizamo, and I heard you in an interview refer to him as Johnny Legs, <laughs> which I love. I've never heard that before. That's so adorable. <laughs> Does he know you call him that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, the thing is like within, within the New York Latino community, if you're talking about John Leguizamo, you usually call him Legs or Johnny Legs. Yeah. Okay. I, okay you know, okay. I, 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 like I like you that. know, he laughed at it. Him and I did an interview together at NYU um, years ago. A, a really good friend of mine, Christopher Diaz, um, who wrote The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, which was the Pulitzer finalist play that took me from Chicago to New York. Like it was the vehicle that ended up getting me to where I wanted to be. But him and I, he's one of my best friends and um, he's, he's a, 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 you know, a professor as well at NYU for, um, for the playwriting program and what he brings people in to, you know, sit down and chat with either his, playwriting classes or creative writing classes or whatever. And one day he brought me and me and Johnny legs in together. And then I think I said it and he just started laughing. Like he didn't, it was, it wasn't even a conversation about it afterwards. Like it was just kind of like, you know, that was it. And so I was like, Oh, that seems like a, a laugh of approval. So I'm gonna stick with it. Yeah. Good, good, good. By the way, does that Telemundo uh, video clip exist of you when you were a little kid on the internet? Man, I don't know. You know, I feel like I, I on the internet, probably not. I, I feel like we used to have it on a really grainy VH VHS that was taped over something that was probably taped over something important. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know where it is, but I do remember I wore I might have to go look around. I might have to go look around for it because that would be so precious to put. Uh, I got a vest and a we, bow tie on. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. And then funniest thing is um, uh, early in Chicago after graduating, probably when I was around 26, I ended up doing the Buddy Holly story with oh, Janet, wow. Janet Lauer, who was doing the uh, on-film acting class for uh, exit acting students. She was directing this jukebox musical. And I walked in and I did La Bamba and like, that was it. So like, I got to kind of, go full circle with that, circle. And, I love that. And, then, and then put Richie Valens away for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. Good, good, good. There's a lot, a lot more people that you have to encounter. Um, so how did you feel about your casting and how people saw you and what kind of, if you got put into a, a type, mm. how did you feel about it? Uh, at, at the theater school? Um, yeah. You, no, I, you know, I felt, I, I, I felt really lucky. There was, um, like my, I remember my intros were always really dynamic. The, you know, like uh, Barry Brunetti was directing one of them um, that comes to mind. That was just so much, so much fun. And then within, and then I remember like my final scenes, we always, I always had partners that were, that were, that always pushed pushed you and we were able to push each other a lot. And um, I remember my, our last one, 
I cut together 12 minutes of the film Dominic and Eugene with Ray Liotta. And oh. so we ended up do we ended up doing we, we ended up doing that. And I remember that I, I just I just remember we were always pushing the envelope forward. And then we got into the casting pool and I got very lucky. I was I was on the main stage for five out of my six. The only one that I wasn't was in the room upstairs and it was the best the best thing that I did was in that room. I never got to work at the Athenaeum, um, but we did uh, Stephen Belber's tape and it was myself, Lisa Joyce and Matt Pierce. And it clicked. Like I did tape and I was like, that's the type of acting I want to be doing. Like, this is the type of stories I want to be telling this sort of dynamic that's happening between the three of them. This shit is dangerous and it's funny and it's compelling and i want to tell more stories like this so i got i got extremely lucky and i had ann wakefield twice both for children's shows i did three children's shows on on the main stage while i was Whoa. there uh that's a tough gig yeah. and no lie that's a tough gig that's early mornings that's you know that's it's saturdays that's a lot but i think that helped me transition into going into the children's theater company and working with them um, for that first season, but I got to do, a, you know, a South African tale about Takalosh, about this water sprite, which we should get to find a picture of this. I haven't because 2001 to 2005, we didn't have cell phones that took pictures. So I had a Blackberry right, then. Right, yeah. So like, I don't have it, but that, there is a great picture of me as Takalosh that's somewhere on one of those walls that I would like to, maybe we'll ask Jason Beck to take a take an iphone shot of it and, yeah and, and send it and i'll i'll reach out to barry and see if he's got any video oh. of uh of your performance yeah. i recently got um i recently was sent video of uh, of a performance that i did from an mfa director it was wild mm -hmm. it was so wild i don't know if you've seen video of yourself from that time or if you've seen it recently <laughs> it's really interesting i highly recommend like it's a it's a whole experience. I, I bet. I, I, I bet. Heard. I think I'll need like a room to myself and a weekend to myself <laughs> to, you know, go through all of the emotions that I'll probably feel. Yes. Um, embarrassment and regret probably be at the top of the oh, list. Sure, of either course. Way. Um, yeah. That's, that's good. That's, that's the good stuff. Yeah, but So when you graduated, you had this job. Oh, uh, you say what you were going to say in a minute, but you had this job at a children's theater. Did you think you were just theater that's what you were going to do or were you hoping it wouldn't you would do all all the things i i i wanted to get my feet wet in an environment that i felt comfortable in um and very few people that i spoke to alumni who were coming back and people that were working out in the real world almost none of them had a full year of work lined up upon graduating. So I thought it would be foolish of me not to take advantage of that opportunity. Plus I heard Minneapolis is a fantastic city and it has the most theaters per capita considering it's so condensed and small. So I wasn't like leaving, you know, a highly artistic place to go to a less artistic place. If, if not, it was just more of like more, um, um, you know, a more, um, whatever this is, uh, if, if you're not seeing me and I'm like scrunching my hands together, uh, more, yeah, more compact sort of, 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 of an artistic sort of setting. So it allowed me to really transition with 
to the ensemble feel that we had at the theater school into a straight ensemble that allowed me to get my feet wet and really start making my own mark of like the type of professional that I wanted to be. Then transitioned me into going straight into ensemble theater work back in Chicago. And, you know, then I started doing a lot of commercials and things like that. And some like small independent films, like there was no Chicago fire. Then I think, you know, Chris Nolan's Batman was the only film like big film that was filming there mm-hmm. at one point. So if you were doing film and television in Chicago at that point, it was, you know, smaller sort of sort of things that weren't really, you know, taking you places per se, you know, and then that's how, you know, the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity and me getting mixed up with those folks and working with Chris and then that taking me to New York. And then once I went to New York, I mean, that's the last play I did 2010. Okay. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. So you haven't had a chance to do theater. Is that something that you hope to get back to someday? I do. I do. You know, I miss it. You know, I still do. I do readings and, you know, go into the theater and same sort of thing, helping playwrights out, developing their voice, developing their work. I like that process. I think it's, I think it's useful for all of us, especially with people who are developing their voice along the way. Like I, I, I think it's, I think it's the best thing you can do to keep certain muscles moving that you don't necessarily get to work all the time. Um, and, and it keeps me within the, you know, the New York theater scene, because frankly, I'm sure most of them have forgotten about me, you know, like the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity was an awesome ass show, but that was 2009, 2010 It's 2022. There's a lot of brilliant people that are, you know, have emerged, have come through then and are consistently working in that scene. So me getting back into it, I would just really want to find the right thing. I also have two small kids. I have a six-year-old boy and an almost three-year-old girl. And so up until now, kind of, you know, because we don't live yeah, in New York no, City it's, anymore, it's but 10 to six every day and then eight shows a week after that, that's a lot of time spent commuting and or being there. And it's not necessarily so much time at home. So I've been hashtag blessed and lucky enough to be working on projects that help me fulfill my familial time commitments that I need to be here for as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's weird to think that of the crazy hours of film and television, that that would be more conducive to you spending more time at home. But it's really true because, you know, with theater, it's you're all in every single day of the Mm -hmm. week and that's really rough. Okay. So, um, what do you remember about your showcase experience? Oh, um, I remember, I remember feeling really disappointed about the, um, the engagement in New York, but felt really awesome being in New York. It felt like a place like, oh yeah, I've always envisioned myself here. I can make New York work, me and New York fit. But I remember walking out of the theater and seeing just a barrage of our pamphlets with our headshots and everything like rolled up and thrown into a trash can. I remember taking a picture of that and thinking, that's what they thought, you know, like there, there's still more to prove. So it kind of gave me a little chip on my shoulder, which, you know, coming 
from a world of sports, anytime you can place a chip on your shoulder and then use it in something um, is a good thing, I feel like. So I got to take it up. I got to take that from there. And then I gave it to New York. Once I got back to New York, I feel like um, <laughs> I remember in L.A. not having any um, expectations and I probably got the most interviews there. I just did not. And I did not think that LA wanted a guy like me. I'm not used to seeing a lot of guys like me in film and television. And if most of them are there, you know, they're druggies putting needles in their eye or, you, you know, janitors or uh, sex offenders of some sort. And while, you know, I'm all about paying your dues early on, but like, that's not what I envisioned myself doing, nor did I think that like my capabilities stopped there. So I didn't think LA was really going to want me. And I got probably like the greatest response there. And, um, you know, I went in for these interviews and they were fine. They were okay, but I could see what they saw. And it was like, where can I make a buck off this kid? Like right now, none of them was like a family connection, like an agent or a manager that you would want to develop your career with. I remember always thinking very early on, very young, Jack Nicholson had the same representation for so much of his career. And I thought, that's cool. That's what you want. You want someone who's with you very early on, who sees what you can be, who understands your life outside of this business, because there is a whole life outside of this business. And they're able to help modify that and help propel you as a human, not just as an artist. So I was waiting for that opportunity to come around. And that's what I ended up getting in Chicago, of course, because like, right. that's what they yeah. do. Like, yeah. that's, yeah. you know, uh, blue collar salt of the earth type of people. Those are Chicago people. So I got my roots back into there. And um, so I remember that being, you know, just sort of, by the way, that, that I don't give a fuck energy is exactly why you got so many meetings, right? Like, because this is the thing that this, I feel this is one of the most difficult things for actors to do is to kind of throw it away. I mean, not that, you, not to not, not that you don't prepare, not that you don't actually care, but that, it's it's like I'm hearing a lot of actors more recently take the approach. A, I'm auditioning for the casting director. I'm auditioning for the room, but also like I'm auditioning. I am doing my work. You're watching my work, and you either it's either going to fit for you or it's not. But your opinion of it doesn't really change what I'm going to do, my trajectory as an artist. Right? I think that's so much so much more of a healthy way. And I think that's probably why you got so much uh, attention in LA is because you were kind of throwing it I away. love that though. I'm glad that you're, you were hearing that feedback from so many people because I, I, I do feel that, you know, the thing is when you're, I don't know how many you graduated with, but I think we had 24, all 24 really, really talented people. Um, I don't think a third of us are acting anymore. I think maybe a handful yeah. are, but everyone's still doing something that's artistically fulfilling and separate variations of it, you know? And I, 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 I think that's like really special as a person of not holding yourself 
hostage to this one sort of thing that because it's it's all part of that same mindset of like i'm doing this for me you just happen to be here as well and if we collaborate we collaborate and if we don't we don't because i'm still going to be doing something for me and i i just Mm -hmm. i i i love I love that mindset. I love that approach because the thing I always thought to myself, if I get cut, I get cut. I'm going right into auditioning at Steppenwolf. That's, that's where I want to be. That's the stage I want to be at. Right. Um, you, you know, uh, if, if I don't get this audition, I don't get this audition. I had a thing in the, I love food. I said, if I'm not successful by my terms of successful, which is no one else's and I'm harder on myself than anyone else can ever wish to be on me. You guys have no idea the shit that goes through my mind and the way that I talk to myself, it's probably very unhealthy, but it keeps me moving. Cause I'm my own. I'm my own director at this point, most of the time, you know, cause I'm the one setting myself up to be in directed by these other people. But if I wasn't successful by my terms, successful by the age of 40, which I'm approaching, um, I would stop acting and I would go to culinary school because I think there's a hell, a hell of a, uh, I love science. I love art. You stick both of those together. What do you get? You get food. You know, being able to yeah, cook, sure. being able to put plates together and cooking things at different temperatures and different varieties is hella artistic in my mind, and I incorporate that into my everyday life. But if acting wasn't going to be the path for me, I always knew that that was something else that I could put my artistic self in and feel good about it, feel proud about it, and feel like I was still challenging myself in some sort of artistic capacity. So hearing that other people are doing that and, you know, me still being in touch with the folks that I'm still in touch with from the theater school who are doing other things, uh, casting, they're running production companies, they're running theater companies. Some of them are doing amazing interior design. Like these are artistic avenues that, you know, maybe phonetic pillows didn't help you get to, but it canceled (laughs) out other avenues that you, that weren't necessarily vibing with like your life vibe, your continued life. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, we talk a lot about whether or not, you know, teenagers, some of us were, you know, barely 17 Mm -hmm. starting college, whether or not teenagers know themselves enough to know how to be someone else, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a journey for a lot of us. And I'm wondering, I mean, you are coming across to me as somebody who possesses a lot of self-knowledge and who is very confident. Do you feel that you ever struggled with that in theater school? I mean, like how well did, I guess the real question is how did you, how well did you know yourself when you started theater school? Well, you know, I, I had to, I had to learn myself quicker than most 15 year olds when when your dad died yeah cuz it was like okay i mean uh logistically half the amount of money coming into a household that already didn't have a lot of money coming into it you have to do something in order to help sustain right like we need food on the table we need gas and cars you want to go out to a movie with your friends you're going to have to pay for it you're going to have to do that so i did that i started getting jo- i started getting jobs working at chick-fil-a i was working at you know, uh, one of those Mountasia family fun zones with video games and race cars and dumb shit like that. But that made me jump into hyper gear 
and understand where my place was just in society, not even in high school society anymore, what a college society was going to be. I had to go out there and do things for my family and myself already. So I think I had a leg up in that I, I, I kind of could already see where I was currently fitting in the world, inside of high school, outside of high school, and where I wanted to be and the steps that I needed to take in order to get there. So like, would I rather have my dad? Yes. But if I didn't lose him, would I be where I am now? I don't know. That really like made me jump into a, 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 a whole different point of view. Um, as far as like confidence and everything goes, I like to be the best at everything that I do. I'm very highly competitive. I'm super competitive with myself. And so the whole thing about going to the theater school that vibed with me was like, we're not, and everyone always thought, oh, it was me versus this person. Nah, it was you versus you. As long as you were on an upward trajectory and you were continuing to get better, deepen, be a more available scene partner, push your scene partners forward, seem to have, you know, more of an understanding of where it was going. It seemed like those people were staying in and going through the entire sort of program. And so that's what my mindset was. That's what I'm going to do every day. I want to go in there and I want to be a, a better actor than I was the day before, which means being a better scene partner, right? Cause like you, you, you only look good when your scene partner looks great. So like that was my job every day, getting more flexible in, you know, physically uh, growing my vocal range, even if it was only, you know, a little like this much better than it was yesterday. It was this much better than it was yesterday in my opinion. So I've always kind of had that mindset that like, as long as I'm being better, a better Desmond today than I was yesterday, I'm going down the right sort of path. Now, where there's stumbles, is there insecurity? Fuck. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, like there's so much going and I can only look at it through the lens of, of like fatherhood now, like you can read as many books as you want about anything. <laughs> Nothing prepares you for the real thing. You know, and so like uh, this year, this past year, 2022 was the most off professional year I've ever had in my life. I have been under a series regular contract since every year since 2012. That didn't happen this year. I've always known that I at least had half of my year set up with acting work since 2012 in the film and television world. That didn't happen this year. Every, uh, you know, I've done five independent movies that just kind of came out of nowhere this year. And that's more independent movies. That's probably total of what I've done my entire career and I've done this year. And so it's been really a difficult for me as someone who is used to being really steady, um, to not have that steadiness. So you have those moments of doubt and insecurity and I'm getting older and I feel a change happening in my audition process. And there's things that I see in myself because, you know, I watch all my tapes and then I send what I think is the best two to three to my manager and agent to splice together and send off to casting. I'm hyper-focused at like looking at myself. And while other people think like, wow, that's really great work. I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's the same old shit that I do all the time. 
that's not good enough, you know? So like, you know, so with this sort of changing of the guard thing that's happening naturally in life and within the profession, you know, I've had a whole year of more doubt this year than I ever have. And in turn, I feel like I'm doing work that's just, um, what's the, what, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, um, gratifying. No, it's just the, the works more. It's, it's like, it's more sensitive. It's been more sensitive this year. Like I go into a Mm. project, I'm feeling things differently. I'm hearing things differently and it's welcomed. So, um, but dealing with not having the steadiness is a very hard thing. And it's also a very hard thing when you're have a home and a wife and two children and you're trying to put money away for college to like mess with any of that sort of order that's been put in place, like really like sends, sends you into a sort of a sort of a spin. Wow. Well, you just helped me really clarify something for myself, which is that um, what I'm, what I was attributing to you as confidence maybe confidence but it's a lot more focus and determination because like you said you I I don't know if I would say because of what you experienced at 15 you really had to know yourself at least what what you said to me came across as you uh, you had to let go of wondering what your life might look like and just doing and just going and just pursuing and it sounds like that has been the thing that has been one of the pillars of, of your success is that you don't because what happens to a lot of us with rejection is oh i guess that means i shouldn't be doing this thing i wanted to do my entire life instead of oh it just didn't work out in that that I can't go down that street, but there's like a whole other city's worth of streets, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that so it it sounds like you've spent basically since you're 15 problem solving mm-hmm. with high stakes, mm-hmm. right? And you're back there again. Yeah. You're back there again now yeah. with with your with your young family, mm-hmm. which I can really relate to. So. I'm guessing d- determination and focus are going to be the things that are going to always carry you through. Yeah. You, I, I, I think you're right. You know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that within this year of uncertainty, cause we're coming out of two years of emotional um, and psychological uncertainty, just as like humans, right? Like even, you know, like we haven't even unpacked what those two years were like. And while I was still sort of working steadily within them, like, you you know, I I wonder how much of coming out of that has informed this year and my ability to cope with this year of change. Um, But like one thing of on the note of like self-realization, like I, I, um, I realized this, or I actually was able to formulate it and finally put it into words. Like I consider myself to be the best number three on a call sheet out there, right? <laughs> like I'm Scotty Pippen in every sense, right? And people were like, oh no, Scotty was the two. No, 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 no. Michael was the one. Phil Jackson was the two. Scotty was the three. He's the glue guy, right? He's always the person who's making sure that, you know, everyone's still sort of, 
afloat and engaged and enjoying it and whatever you need him to do to make this shit fly he is going to do and the days where you need him to pull off the a storyline or to go 20 10 and 7 with like three combined steals and blocks he can do it but you know you're going to be more than pleasantly surprised with his 15 7 and 7 that he's normally getting every day in and every day out and i feel like that sort of feedback that i've really started to receive from different producers and directors that i work with cuz you 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 think sometimes like oh we li- well, this is such a creative environment but sometimes it's hard for people to appreciate what other people's full potential might be. And I feel like I hear a lot like, wow, like I saw you do that. And then you did this. And it's like, I had no idea, bro. And it's the younger me got real pissed at that comment. The older me is like, yeah, because I'm Scotty fucking Pippen. Yeah, right, 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 you know? right, so, right. And that wouldn't have been the bulls without Scotty. Right. Yeah. You know, so like there's like there there's these these things and you know I like and like the the phonetic pillow thing or you know the counting the tile thing i think getting into this part of my life of being good with where i'm at and having a really sharp realization of where i fit in and where i think i want to continue to fit in to make this thing stretch and go as far as it possibly can is another level of like hyper focus you know cuz you know, yeah. the one always has the most responsibility and is usually a white guy. Yeah, Just kind sure, of yeah. is. And the two's usually the love interest, right? So like you, you right. know, like <laughs> where's the where's the next where's the next sort of thing? And I, I've just have found in the, you know, the most the most freedom, the most sort of play you get is by not having all of the responsibility all of the time and then coming in and surprising people at the exact same moment. Yeah. So Sure. But, but that, does that mean that you don't see yourself in your future being number one on the call sheet? Oh no, I, I do. I, you know, the, the, the first independent film I did this year was the first time that I was number one on a call sheet since the elaborate entrance of Chad Teity, which, which was a huge success. It was a huge success. And I watched this movie and I don't necessarily like to watch myself so much anymore. I used to do it as uh, an exercise to see, oh, that's the edit that they chose. Oh, I can morph that next time. I don't want to do that anymore. Now I just like experiencing what I experience on set and walking away with that feeling and letting everyone else enjoy the sort of finished product. But I'm also a producer on this film. So, you know, you know, I, I had a different different yeah. hat to put on. Um, and so I had, you know, I had to watch it a couple of times and do things like notes and things like that. And I, d- I didn't really have a lot. And it was the first time that I've like watched myself be the number one again. And it was just like, huh? Yeah, I can do that whenever you want me to. Like, I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready for it when it, yeah. when, when it comes around. But like, am I like always searching the number one. I'm actually like really jonesing to be the bad guy all the time now. Like all the, I'm tired of being like the, 
really emotionally conscious brown best friend, usually to a British white guy, which I'm totally down with. But I feel like I can do that in my sleep. Like I want to be the bad guy that people feel bad for, that people actually fucking care about and understand why he's doing the things that he's doing, even though it's to the detriment of the, uh, to the protagonist, right? Like that's, that's what I'm searching for. Like peeling that onion back. You need your, you need your own Walter White, oh. you know, situation, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, yeah. I could see it for sure. you. I, oh, oh. I really could oh. see it for you. I would, I, I, I would cherish Because the that. comedic actors, I, I mean, as actually Brian Cranston's a great example, the, the, the comedic talk about surprising, you know, I don't know that anybody saw Malcolm in the Middle's dad, you know, going down that path. And I think it, and then he was able to do theater. That's the next thing I was going to say is you will reach a level of success in which now you're a famous, you know, just famous, famous period. And now you can do all the theater you want, right? That'll, that'll be, that will, that will really be your full circle thing. Yeah. And, and I, I, I would welcome that. I mean, yeah, I'd be interested to do like a deep dive into Brian Cranston pre Malcolm in the middle, just to kind of have a better understanding of, cause I, was he, was he a love interest for Elaine on Seinfeld for an episode? I feel like he was at yes. some point, you know, so like you saw he that. Was, and he made Jerry, I saw, an, I heard him giving a interview where he talked to, I think this was him. Yeah. He made Jerry Seinfeld break. Oh, he, they couldn't get through this. I think it was the, maybe the Chinese restaurant. I forget, but he, they couldn't get through it because Brian Cranston, you know, he's so, deadpan mm. like just f- kind of like you actually really like determined and focused and deadpan and straight you're not deadpan but the straightforwardness mm. of him it, it's i think it must be unnerving right to, to be around him. although you know i think jerry made jerry break a lot on that show i feel like when i watch episodes <laughs> now i see him doing like this sort of side smile and i'm like that's that's not that's not that's not the character well, jerry that's jerry that's Jared. I bet you if we did a deep dive on Brian Cranston, it would be, I haven't read his um, memoir yet, but I read Brian Cox's mm. and, and I bet you that it's a very similar story because now of course he's playing my very favorite villain ever, which is Logan Roy oh. on succession. Um, he, but he did, he actually, Brian Cox actually has your approach, which is like onto the next thing, onto the next thing, be professional, show up, do your work, be prepared don't get caught up in all of the um, self-doubt. Not that you don't ever have self-doubt, but don't live there. You know, vi- vi- visit there. Go there Go there for a spell, but you live in moving forward. Yeah, yeah I like – oh, man, yeah. you know what's so funny is Brian, Brian Cox, I remember seeing, like, his suits hung up at the Goodman Theater for a play oh, wow. i remember i was i was uh understudying uh boletos for the disenchanted that henry godinas was directing uh years ago before um before i had moved out to new york before chad deity had happened or was it post maybe it was post chad deity before we moved to new york i can't remember the exacts but i just remember walking through that hall and just like going past his dressing room and like seeing like his suits. And I just remember thinking like, Hmm, 
There's like such an energy with his wardrobe, with just his wardrobe. There was like this energy, wardrobe, like something, yeah. something to be reckoned with, you know? And um, I, I think maybe that's probably what I miss most about theater is sort of like the, um, the ghosts that walk the theater with you. There's always yes. an energy. There's always a presence of, of, of something else greater than yourself, like helping you, you know, combat you help you fight it help you go yeah. through it help you live through it yeah yeah theater is thick right theater is thick or like that thing you're talking about before compact dense it is that it in the experience of being this is why this is why every actor always wants to get back to it because no matter how successful you are in film and television you never get that immediate gratification except for i guess with crew um, but that that sense of we're all doing this thing together and how the air changes. I remember reading one time they, they did a study about the difference between uh, live and recorded experiences. For example, the sound that they can record of a waterfall that they use for white noise machines doesn't have the same effect as being in front of a waterfall because when you're in front of a waterfall, the air is different. The waterfall itself creates sort of an electric, not an electric, an ionic atmosphere mm that is calming too. Like that's an, that's an added layer of it. And I think theater does that too. There's something, you know, I, we always lazily refer to it as magic, but it does kind of feel like magic. This thing that happens that you can't account for, you just know it when you feel it and you know it when it's not there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm forgetting which, which, um, experienced, um, actor told me this early on. <sighs> But it was out of pot bellies. I do remember that, because um, I was I, I I'm I've always been like a sponge when I when it's come to other actors that I've worked with. Like I just kind of want to know their experience. Like you know, no frills. Just tell me what it's been like. Anything you want to share, anything. And I, I I remember I remember this actor saying to me, you know, there's going to be ebbs and flows of everything that happens, but just you know. Remember, remember this, and it goes to the theater thing. Film makes you famous. Television makes you rich. Theater makes you good. While the other two seem really appealing, don't ever lose that other one because pretty soon that's going to dry up and that's going to dry up. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of what the cool thing about self-taping is now. It's like theater for myself. Like I walk around in my basement, I do full on fucking vocal warmups. I'm like in it. If there's, if I'm auditioning with, and I already know who's cast, I take pictures of them of what I think they might look like in the role. And I put them in my eyelines so that I'm seeing them so that I'm acting oh, with them. I also like, I voice record all of the other characters and fit it into the time frame that I want the scene to be. So I do like a whole like Japanese kabuki sort of theatrical experience with all of my self tape auditions. And I think that's why I, that's amazing. I, I, Wait, that is uh, let's uh, hang on. I, I don't want to gloss past that. That is amazing. I, 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 I do hear from some people about what their self tape um, ritual is, you know, and I, but I, and I think really a lot of people spend a lot of time reading, thinking, but, this you're bringing it to a new level. You might want to trademark this. Uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps, yeah. We got to get some passive income coming in here uh, for 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 the babies. Um, no, well, you know, I, I I realized that asking people to read with me, a, 
sometimes ask them for too much of their time if I wasn't getting to the place where we needed it to get to. Um, pardon me. Pause, edit. Um, so I started doing this thing where I just have my voice memos on my phone and I do my thing. I do my breakdown. I get my, you know, action list that, you know, Dexter Bullard made famous for me, like what I'm trying to do. And every moment I beat it out, I do my color coding, all my notes. I do all of that shit. And then I start to record it and I record each scene at various paces along where I am in the memorization process. So like early on, I give myself more space for the character I'm playing in between to figure out where I'm going. And then I trunk and then I just truncate it and shorten it up and get it to a place that feels right, feels natural and keeps it moving forward so that it doesn't ever feel stale because they don't get to see the other actor in any of these things. Right. So there's no cutting, <laughs> which I wish, I wish there was, but there is none. So then I get it to the place where it is. And by that time, like I'm not only focusing on my character, I'm focusing on those other characters doing things to me, helping me get to places that I need to get to. So that when I actually lay down these tapes, perhaps I get to a place where I surprise myself by me surprising myself, which then hopefully mm-hmm. makes it, you know, juicy, you know, and ma- makes them want to want to be more invested in what I have and what I have to offer. And so like, that's sort of the, the, the process that I go through. Yeah. You get it in your body. You get, it sounds like you, you know, you take, you make a real phys, you make a lot of physical choices, which I think sometimes people forget about when they're, you know, because especially they're just doing it for this little box. Well, I could talk to you all day, but I I told you it was only going to be an hour. So I I better let you go. Thank you so much for your time and your, your, your thoughtful consideration about your experience. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I, I hope I didn't get too long winded on anything. Uh, Scott, Scotty, no, Scotty Pippen has the, the, uh, <laughs> Scotty Pippen does that every once in a while. Scotty Pippen only talks. About he does it every <laughs> once in a while. And he's allowed. And he's allowed. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Ink, please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!